This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. G'day everybody and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I'm already being met by disapproval from my co-host for my shambolic rendition of the Australian accent. Um, I am joined once again by Mr. Craig. Shaking my, I'm shaking my head, shaking my head. Hello Greg, Greg terrible. is disappointed. And I'm also joined <laughs> by Mr. John Javicki. Hello John. Hello, hello. Well, now that I've already managed to offend Australia, I think we can kind of see what our main topic of discussion is going to be on this week's episode. Um, but before we get to that, make sure you're following us on all the relevant social media channels at in two, the number two, the paddock on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also head over to into the to check out all of our sister shows, which are also great, but we'll have more on that later as we have more shows better. The, the, our shows we better. We're starting a fight, you know, <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. We have got beef, haven't we? <laughs> As, well, Tyler just said debate. He said we'll just have a debate. I don't know. I'm calling it beef. beef. Beef's better. <laughs> <laughs> this is our beef. <laughs> oh no, it's Wendy's. Shit. <laughs> well, Arby's has the meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For goodness sake. Um, yes, we have much to discuss. Um, <clears throat> prior to us getting beaten up by our sister show, as a fly tries to jump scare me, that was weird. Um, Hence the terrible accent. We should probably talk about the Australian Grand Prix. Mm. Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> I, it's, I think it's fair to say, before we get onto the very obvious talking points, that for 55 of the, what was it, 57 laps? F- for mm. 90% of the race, it was fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Qualifying was was somewhat interesting. You had Max Verstappen take pole, which isn't surprising. Um, (laughs) You had the one upset of Sergio Perez deciding to go all Red Bull second driver and um, not make it out of Q1 after ending up in the gravel. It looked like it was a car problem, though, to his his credit. He'd been struggling all weekend in practice with several offs and spins through the gravel, and he finally had one at an op- inopportune time, which put him out of the session, um, thus making him basically qualify last. You know, at least we would get some excitement from that, we thought. Little did we know what we were going to have later on. Um, I think the main surprise in qualifying was how close the Mercedes were all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um You know, for a team that have spent the last two races complaining about how terrible their car is, they ended Q3 with less than three tenths between Verstappen in pole 
and Hamilton in third with Russell in between. Um, this led to Alonso and Sainz, amongst others, saying that the Mercedes isn't as bad as Mercedes are saying it is. So what did we think of um, Mercedes this weekend? Because they certainly seemed closer, at least in qualifying. I mean, they were quick. They were quick. They, they you know, obviously there was some contention about how hard Lewis was racing into turn one. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, no, they were, they were quick, much, much better than I think, like you said, they were letting on to believe. Yeah. Lots of complaining for <laughs> a car that had a lot of speed. Um, however, I mean, what, when, when we did have some green flag running, I think at one point, what, um, uh, Verstappen was eight or nine seconds ahead of Lewis. I mean, there's still a, a giant gap in performance, but you know, they at least were on par with the uh, um, the Aston. So, I mean, you know, we we know that the the Red Bulls are quick, and you know, we'll see if anyone does catch them ever this season. But at least, um, you know, get a little bit more of a spicy battle for the rest of the podium with um, you know having. Mercedes and uh, Aston in the mix, but no, it's just, it's kind of funny. You know, the way that they came out, you know, the way that Lewis came out, it was like the end of the world. Well, we we're going to focus on next year. You know, the car is just not good. And then all of a sudden, well, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's I mean, my it's one opinion. race. It's one race. Yeah. See, that's the thing. See, based yeah. off of the first two races, you could kind of understand it, but then they come to Australia and it's okay. So really, you've got to wait for another couple of races to really see where it averages out at. Um, right. the, the deficit to Red Bull is still huge. I mean, they stayed ahead for the first stage of the race, I guess we'll call it <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, And that was because you know they were running in formation and George was able to give Lewis some DRS to help counteract Max. But as soon as George was waylaid by the ill-timed red flag and it was just Lewis out front... That Red Bull, you know, breezed by him with DRS into mm-hmm. the middle sector and then pulled out two seconds in the final sector. It, it's unreal pace from that car and that driver. Um, so, yeah, the gap to them is is still monumental. The gap from Red Bull to everyone is still monumental. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the good thing for them, as you said, is that they are right on pace with Aston Martin. I mean, Lewis and Fernando were basically running exactly the same lap times for the whole race. It, it, like, it was a shame we never quite got them close enough to actually do battle because I think that would have been spicy as all hell. Mm-hmm. But they were they were they had about a 1.5 second gap between them for virtually the entire race. And more importantly, they were both ahead of Ferrari. Um, yes, granted, that was could have been because Leclerc fucked himself into the gravel on that one. Um <laughs> And Science had a pretty decent race, but the car wasn't quicker than the Aston and the Mercedes this time. But yeah, the, the battle between Mercedes, Ferrari when they're not terrible, and Aston Martin could be sensational for the rest of this yeah. season. So that's, I that's hope it is. one of the positives. <laughs> I hope it is. I hope Mercedes does come back in, in a strong way and, and brings the fight to uh to the Red Bulls as much as, as as cool as it would be to see 
I don't want Max to win every single race this year. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I mean, no, that's not why we watch racing. We watch it because we want to fight, right? And so, yeah, it, it, it. I hope they're back. I hope they're back in a good way, and and I hope they can bring the fight to Red Bull. And I hope Mercedes or not Mercedes. I hope uh, Aston Martin can keep up with the development more and and maintain the, the pace that that they have. So, yeah, we could see a good a good potential fight for first. Yeah. Uh, in the constructors at least. And, and as far as Ferrari goes, it's just, it's all bad luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, you just, I don't, I don't understand. I, I just, I just don't understand what's going on over there in, in the, on the Ferrari wall, uh, or, or just anywhere on the team. Really. I mean, they're just, they're having such bad luck and I hate, I hate it for Charles Leclerc. You know, he's, he's, he's a good driver. He's a good guy. He deserves much better than, uh, I think the, the team in Marinello can give him, which is, you know, it is what it is. That's what, that's what happens when you sign a contract at Ferrari, hmm. <laughs> you, you get to put on the super suit and then that's, that's about it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't really get to do much after that. But then in this instance, you know, I think it's no secret to anybody that I'm a massive Charles Leclerc fan, but you know, he was the the team have let him down a lot in the last couple of years in particular, but on this occasion he was a bit too ambitious and I, he, you know, people immediately jumped on Lance Stroll thinking it was his fault. Honestly, I don't know why Charles was so aggressive on the outside of that corner on two cars that were already side by side. It just wasn't a particularly smart move. Um, and yeah, just immediately put him out on that one. So, you know, it, it's it's a two-sided street. He needs to stop making mistakes and Ferrari needs to stop making mistakes. And it does go for Carlos as well. I, I will say, for again, for 90% of this race, Carlos drove brilliantly. His his uh, overtake on Gasly was sensational. I, I love seeing yeah. people effectively pull off yeah. a dummy like he did. But then we'll get on to what happened at the end later. But <laughs> his, his move into turn one on Fernando Alonso that subsequently got him the penalty. Whether the penalty is harsh or not, he deserved the penalty because it was stupid. Like he he went in way too deep and managed to hit Alonso, who was as far left as you could possibly be. He deserved a penalty, no matter what anybody says. It's Absolutely. just because of the circumstances that we should get right. onto, it made the penalty seem a lot harsher. But I suppose actually we'll probably jump ahead to toward the end of the race now because after Verstappen got uh so we had the race start. The Mercedes were first and second uh, after a slightly tentative start from Max Verstappen for a change, which um, actually, to his credit, worked very well um, because he was able to stay in contention and not end up in the gravel anywhere. So better than Leclerc. Um, <laughs> then we had the first red flag after what had been a superb race weekend so far for Alex Albon in the Williams. He was running sixth, yeah. which was bloody brilliant. And then he kind of turned into Latifi, uh, spun <laughs> into the barrier, um, through the gravel, dragged the Sahara Desert onto the racing line, seemingly. And a red flag followed. Now, the red flag has been very much debated as to whether, whether or not it was needed. Right. Um, I can go either way on it. You know, Jensen did not like it. What's Jensen Button was like, this is, you know. Multiple times he said on the, the broadcast, he's like, there was no, no need for a red flag. You know, this is 
And then which led to, I, I didn't realize that you could change tires under a red flag either. Yeah. See, and that's, that's the, next the main issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for, for the actual cause of the red flag, I, I could go either way on it because we were either going to have a lengthy cleanup period as they swept all of the um, gravel away under a VSC or, uh, well, under a safety car, it would have had to have been. Um, and that would have taken several laps because every time the field camps back by, the marshals would have had to have gone off the track. So either way, we were going to lose time. If anything, the red flag meant that we didn't lose any racing laps. So I, I could actually, I can see why, I wouldn't say they needed it to be a red flag, but I can see why they did and there are benefits to it. However, the massive negative is the tire thing. So as soon as the safety car came out, because they were, they were about a lap or two before the safety car turned into a red flag. And as soon as the safety car came out, you had George Russell and Carlos Sainz pit from the front to do their mandatory pit stop and go onto the hard tires till the end. After they'd done this, they changed it to a red flag. Mm -hmm. And then that allowed everyone else who hadn't pitted to do the tire change in the pits, the free tire stop. This has always been the rule whereby you can have a free tire stop. Um, it, uh, I think the most, the earliest example of everybody getting annoyed by this was Monaco in like 2012 or something like that when it completely lobotomized the end of a race because everybody just got a free pit stop and it, it, it just made it dull. Um, it's one of those rules that people hate when it makes it bad, but love when it makes it good because it's this sort of situation that allowed Pierre Gasly to win at Monza a couple of years ago. That's how he got the track position mm -hmm. and how he stayed in front. But I think if if we all threw our collective biases out of the way, I think we would all agree that it's not good because it completely neutralizes strategy. You know, it would have been cool to see how the race would have played out if George and Carlos would have been able to keep their preferential tire strategy because they were the first to do it. You know, it, right. it, it completely killed that part of the race and essentially left max virtually unchallenged because of the pace of his car you know he could breeze past hamilton because none of them had to lose position when they came in for their tires um a lot of people i think myself included have suggested that maybe formula one needs to go the way of indycar and nascar and have during caution periods or red flags a predetermined time when you have to change tires and stuff like that so the red flag comes out you can't do any work and then when it's rescinded you then come around again and then you make your pit stop. So you still have the loss of track position. You don't get it whilst you're just sat there and every, nobody loses anything. But it's a difficult situation. I, I'm not really sure what they could do to fix it. Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, there, really, how many teams, you know, I, I was was trying to, to pay attention to Magnus and I'm a, you know, I pull for Haas when I can. Mm -hmm. um, and I know he was, Running mid, nothing special. I think he was in like 12th or 13th. And just like George and just like uh, Carlos, he pitted, you know, and then got got fucked over because then the red flag came out and he's now at the very back. Um, who knows? Maybe he that changes his race. He doesn't blow a tire up on the wall. And uh, we get two Haas uh, cars in the points at the end of this race. But that's just me having dreams. About Gunther and his uh, his boat and anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think I'm with you. the 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 tires don't need to be changed in the pits. No, yeah, right. Like just park farm everything, bring them in, 
put the covers on, can't touch them until you're back out on track and then come in for your pit stop. It, it, it messes up the flow of, of a formula one race. Cause I mean, pit stops are part of the spirit of competition, right? Like, and if you take that away, it's just, uh, follow the leader from here on out, especially at a track like Albert park where it's notoriously difficult to pass. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, we did see some crazy passes in the chicane, you know, what was that turn 10? I think. Yeah. Something like that. We did see some good passing there, but, uh, yeah, you want to see the undercut. You want to see the overcut. You want to see all that stuff. And so I just, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't for it. I wasn't for it. What I'm especially not for is the way the race ended. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move on to that now. Yeah. So we had the first red flag. Um, Max afterwards very quickly dispatched a Lewis Hamilton and was very comfortably going to win the race. Or so we thought. Um, because in the closing laps, Kevin Magnussen, uh, initially you know i think we were all like oh yeah this is good this could spice things up a bit but we didn't know what we what he had brought upon us so he goes (laughs) wide on the exit of the first turn um hits the outside wall and it completely just removes the rubber of his tire like the entire like the rim stayed on but the entire tire just yeah that was weird when um the brake rotor oh no the wheel uh debris and carbon around the wheel uh flicked up into the crowd a um, couple of people got hit by it, which wasn't yeah. great. Damn. But, um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, what, you had one guy who said it was Kevin Magnuson's biggest fan, got um, like a big cut down his arm uh, from a bit of flying debris. But um, How cool. That's a cool souvenir. Yeah, yeah but he didn't you get know? to keep it because someone else stole it. <laughs> well, damn. Well, I mean, <laughs> come you gotta, sign you gotta, my scar, Kevin. Car now, right? Yeah, come yeah. sign the scar. <laughs> um, but I, I don't really want to focus too much on that because as as – as we'll get onto in a bit, there's worse things that the Australian Grand Prix organizers had to deal with after the race that we'll, we'll talk about. And at the end of the day, you can't make the catch fencing 20 feet tall. There's only so much you can, you can prevent. And at the end of the day, when you buy a motorsport ticket, it says motorsport is dangerous and stuff like this could happen. So it's just good that most of the cat, most of the catch fencing did the job that it was intended to. And it kept most of the debris away from the spectators. So, the ensuing debris from that, uh, this was within, I think this was on lap 56 or 55, basically of about three or yeah. four laps to go. And the debris from this resulted in another red flag. Now, <laughs> this is where it gets interesting, because obviously Formula One's new rules uh, that they introduced a couple of years ago mean that if we get a red flag, you have a new standing start. Um so what we were left with was a two-lap sprint to the finish with a standing start, a super sprint, if you will. Um, I think it's fair to say that we expected it to get a little interesting, says the cat. <laughs> yeah, he just really wants to get his opinion known. He does. <laughs> Good old Loki. Um, yeah, oh yeah. So we kind of all expected that it was going to be a bit chaotic. You know, the, the tyres in Formula 1 these days are very much not great at heating up and then you've got the fact that it's a street circuit with gravel and it's a two-lap sprint to a finish on a standing start we knew something was going to go on almost immediately down into turn one uh carlos Sainz goes up the inside of fernando alonso and uh spins him around um at the same time you had both alpines you had pierre gasly go onto the grass i think to avoid the uh spinning alonso and then he rejoined the track 
and then decided to just keep coming all the way across the track and put Ocon in the wall quite heavily, which was, you know, pink car on pink car violence <laughs> seems to be a trend of the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely reminded me of Spa, what was it, 2016 yeah. or so? It's almost Ocon identical. Yeah. Sergio Perez. So bad that the team had to give them orders that they couldn't fight yeah. each other for the yeah. rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time as that, you had Logan Sargent shag it into the back of... Um, I think it was Yuki um, in the, in the Alpha Towery, um, and all of this resulted in another red flag. And then began the wait, because <laughs> for the ensuing half an hour, forty minutes, I think it was, I did lose touch uh, track of time. Thank God I was watching it on demand, so I could fast forward through most of the bullshit. <laughs> right. You had this period where nobody really seemed to know what was going to happen because the FIA Formula One rules are clear as mud. So the debate seemed to be about whether the race would restart, which was impossible because there weren't enough laps to complete the full procedure to get a restart in without extending the distance. And we're not NASCAR. You don't extend the distance of a Formula One race. It's a 58-lap race. So you need to have a lap for a formation lap and a lap of racing at minimum for it to go back to green. So there was a debate as to whether they were going to restart it or whether it was just going to be a formation lap back to the finish, which it ultimately was. But then there was the entirely separate issue of what order they use. Because we had, <laughs> in prior years, at Silverstone last year, for example, when the field weren't able to complete a full sector, they had to revert to the order that they were on that previous start. But now you had the issue of, well, both Alpines weren't there anymore because they were both retired. Logan Sargent was somewhere. Lance Stroll had fucked it off into the gravel as well. <laughs> Fernando Alonso was now back in P11 instead of P3. So if you wanted to take it back, you'd have to revert all of those positions, but then remove the cars that weren't in contention. So that was a bit confusing. Then you had the other method, which was, well, we're not going to get the race restarted anyway. So why don't we do what has been done in Formula One countless times before? Red flag the race, take the result, end it, take the result from the lap previous because whenever you end a race under red flag you always go back a lap so that way everyone would still be in the same positions it would just be like the crash never happened <sighs> ultimately they went for for some reason after 40 minutes of a delay they decided to run a formation lap to complete the final lap of the race which is a waste in my opinion of everybody's time fuel effort um and it just makes the whole sport look very silly. But there you go. And the order that they used for this was the order from prior to the crashes on the penultimate lap. So they went back. So despite being spun by Carlos, uh, Alonso was able to circulate around to get his podium. Lance Stroll, despite his lack of talent putting him in the gravel at turn three, was able to keep fourth. Um and then you had the other shit show. We're not even <laughs> uh, we're not even over it yet, because you then had Carlos Sainz given a five second penalty for spinning Alonso, even though the positions have been reverted. Um. So, so you know he got a five place penalty for a collision that technically never happened, or did it? Who knows? But because they were under a formation lap, he wasn't able to do anything about that penalty, and subsequently dropped from fourth to twelfth. What a shit show. We're still not there because then. 
you can tell we're a little bit exasperated here. Then you had fans able to get onto the track as the race was finishing under the formation lap that didn't need to happen because there was no race. And that meant that fans were in danger of being able to be run over or um, in, in the case of Nico Hulkenberg's car, which broke down after the finish, fans were able to go up to it when it was still live with a red hybrid warning light, which, you know, I don't want to be too dramatic, could have bloody killed someone. Right. That's it, just dangerous. I mean, how many times have we seen accidents where the drivers are told stand up on top of the car, don't touch anything metal and jump as far away from it as you can. Yeah. I mean, it's not too common, you know, nowadays, I think they kind of got that locked down, but, uh, it does happen, you know, and, and those hybrid batteries, yeah, will fucking kill you. Mm. And not only will you die, it'll hurt the entire time you're dying. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not quick. <laughs> no. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I, I, I got the, a Twitter alert from you know just one of the various accounts that i followed that somebody from the australian grand b grand prix corporation was summoned to the steward's office uh this is the first time i've ever heard of that i, I don't think you know, it's ever happened <laughs> uh somebody this is one of the race organizers being summoned to the steward's office for their fuck up um uh, yeah just wasn't a good day down under no and, and it's such a shame because 90 percent of the race it was just fine you know the the everything else the race wasn't terrible it was okay um and the first red flag you know it it was it was fair enough kind of thing but then you had this complete nonsensical series of events that just kept snowballing from this from this decision to have the order taken prior to the incident that happened but then several people weren't able to be there anymore. Then you had Carlos penalized, even though the incident hadn't happened and Alonso technically didn't lose anything. But then like, I think he still deserved a penalty because he still did a malicious action. But at the same time, Logan Sargent, who destroyed Yuki Tsunoda on that start that never was still hasn't got a penalty, even though his incident was arguably worse. And same with Gasly, you know, Gasly, he was, yeah, he was on the grass and he rejoined and he stayed to the left, but then completely under control, moved over to the right and, and put Ocon in the wall. And, and that could have caused serious problems as well. Um, it's just inconsistency. Once again, we've seen so many times over the last few years that Formula One be in a position where a race could potentially end either under a safety car or they try and manipulate it in a way where we get a green flag finish. And every time they come to it, they make a different decision. Hmm. Like, and it's usually the wrong one. And it's and he, he, <laughs> like if they had chosen one and stuck with it on all of these occasions, then we would all know what to expect and there'd be no controversy. Right. But I, I hate to bring up Abu Dhabi 2021, but we the race director at the time completely changed the wording of the rules to speed up the process to ensure we had a, a lap of racing. So that's one interpretation. You then had Monza last year, which finished under a safety car because the they weren't able to crane away Ricardo's car in time because it had a clutch problem. So that was another interpretation, and in my opinion, is the interpretation that should be followed. Um, because sometimes races can finish under a safety car, and we'll talk about one that did later. Mm -hmm. And then you had this time where 
we kind of finished under safety car, but had a formation lap finish. And then you had like, I see no point in why they did the formation lap. There, there was no need for a no, 40 minute delay to make a decision to then run a formation lap there that you could have, we've seen many races once they get over the 90% distance raced where they say, okay, we're, we're not going to get any more racing in. So we'll just read it. You know, it's just easier that way. We, we've done all that we need to do. We can still get full classification. There was no need for that formation lap, which then completely screwed over Carlos because he then had a penalty that was applied prior to this weird decision, which then was made massively worse because of the circumstances it was applied in. It was just a very, very wide ranging example of multiple things that Formula One aren't very good at consistency, um, common sense, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, all sorts. It's like they're they're more concerned with the spectacle than they are with the actual sport, right? Uh, it, yeah, because like you said, the inconsistency, calling everything is just com- is going to be completely different every time they call something. You know, you never know what to expect. So. I don't know. How do we prevent this from happening? Right? I mean, not obviously not us. We're nobodies. You know, we're not. <laughs> I think if you put some shortchange yourself. <laughs> you know, but 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 how does how does Formula One stop this from happening again? How do they keep is it just be consistent? I think because it seems like it seems like even if they were to apply some consistency, the decisions that they're making and that they that they would land on to be consistent about are the wrong decisions. What's going on? Yeah. Is it the FIA? Is it Formula One? Honestly, what it, is it? it feels like it feels like Formula One because even in Formula E, which is a similarly a similar series governed by the FIA, they're at least consistent in all of their decisions. Um, do I necessarily agree with the severity of some of the penalties they give out? No. Um, but you know nine times out of ten what's going to happen as a result of an incident. So it very much feels like, as you say, that Formula One have started to prioritize the show over the sport. Sporting integrity seems to have taken a back seat. Um, I I don't want to attribute that to Netflix to drive to survive. But it does seem like they're trying to make things so dramatic all the time. And it, I think I saw something, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but we've had almost as many red flags in the last three years in races than we had in the previous 20 combined. Wow. And yeah, cause they're not common in formula one. No, or they're really not used. They used to not be right. And like, this one set a record for three red flags in a race. We've yeah. never had that before. Um, yeah. And what happened to the, the 120 minute time limit? So there is a time limit. So that there's a two hour time limit in terms of racing time. And then there's a mm-hmm. four, I think a three hour window in which that racing time can take place in. Okay. Um, so a, again, that's another rule that's changed as has the red flag thing. You know, the, the, the amount of red flags going up wouldn't be so dramatic if they hadn't changed the rules in the last couple of years, whereby there's a standing start after a red flag. Now, personally, I actually like that rule um, because, well, I have in the last few years anyway, because the races have usually been dull and another race start is always quite exciting. Yep. But if you're then going to have the drivers seemingly not able to control themselves on a two-lap restart for the mm. end, you know, at what point do they just become 
GWCs, but without the extended laps, you know. I, I often say with NASCAR, that's an example of a motorsport that one million percent prioritizes entertainment above sport. But my issue with Na- my, I don't have an issue with NASCAR doing it because they're quite obvious and honest about that. Yeah, they've always the overtime been. rule. Yeah, you know they don't want to end under caution. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and if they don't have to. I fully so. respect them for that because it's a completely yeah. different discipline and. Again, they're, they're not trying to fool anyone into thinking that they're a pinnacle of motorsport. Whereas for Formula One, there's all this ego around Formula One being the, the best motorsport, the pinnacle of motorsport. You know, you see it with, in all different facets of the sport where they have this elitism, you know, with regarding to new entrants or fan interactions or, or what you can do at racetracks, how close you can get to people, how much you have to pay to be there. There's this inherent elitism within Formula One. And yet more and more over the last few years, the quality of the product has just nosedived and it's just moved further and further into WWE territory. And it's just, you know, when you see the race that we saw later on in the day from IndyCar that we'll talk about later, it kind of, it's it, it's a stark contrast of, you know, I don't want to be a gatekeeper, but real motorsport and then <laughs> pantomime. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Even as a fan of Formula One, uh, you know, you you know what you're getting out of it. You're 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 gonna watch just cool looking cars follow each other around a track. There's not gonna be a whole lot of passing, and you're looking forward to the off-track drama, right? The the battle of words between all the team principals, you know, the uh the upgrade battle, all that like it but this was this was fucking clown shoes, you know? <laughs> like it, it, yeah, I don't I don't I don't have I don't have a whole lot of words for it because I haven't I haven't seen that in the sport in ever, really. There's you two know, things what, Oh, I'll just say I don't understand why they why they made those decisions at the end of that race to have it end under such a. I mean, it was embarrassing. <laughs> if I was if I was Max Verstappen or any of those guys, I would be embarrassed for the sport and the position that they put you got you know all the drivers in, and then the Haas couldn't even make the lap around. You know, so what happened there? I mean. It, I, I don't know. It just, it seems stupid. It seems oh. stupid. And then to say that, oh, well, if you get a red flag, you're going to start under a standing start, but then they switch back. Like I said, inconsistency. It's, it was, yeah, it was dumb. It was dumb. Well, if they didn't switch up that restart uh, or revert back to the prior formation and Carlos gets that penalty. We're looking at a Hulkenberg P3. And that's how you know <laughs> shit has gone sideways because the entire universe doesn't want Nico Hulkenberg to get a podium. So that's if right. to do that, right. I, I think we'd have been in the upside down, I, down under. Like, I know. I think it, the world might have ended. But uh, just I know we, we've covered a lot, but real, real quickly that after the first red, um, red flag, when they did the restart, and so there was some controversy about, well, does he need to be 10 car lengths from the pace car? This is Hamilton as he's leading around the pace lap. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so he ends up like, I guess the, the, the rule is actually that he he controls the pace lap. He, he sets the pace. Um, although Verstappen thought he was 
that there was a, a 10 car length rule, which again, they, they cleared up and said, Nope, but Hamilton was right. However, he was like, um, like half a track <laughs> length away from, uh, from the pace car. And then it turned into an eye racing pace lap at that point, because then you had at one point, I think it was Kevin Magnuson comes flying up this one turn and like the, it was a blind turn. So you can't see that the, the cars are bunching up. He goes flying off into the grass. It was like, uh, it was like the, 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 the Sebring 12 hour race. We just did the, the pace lap. There was like 20 cars that crashed into each other. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, that was wild to see as, uh, as well. So, but no, those are poor Hulkenberg. Almost, it makes me almost feel got it. Almost made made me feel better as an eye racer when uh when you see all that the the pace lap fiasco <laughs> uh we're not that bad you know yeah like, okay, <laughs> okay. Do it too. <laughs> dumb dumb shit happens with these guys too yeah and and the whole race weekend the driving standards from formula one down through the support series was quite terrible as well but we'll briefly mention that in a moment um, I suppose we better just briefly run through the results after Schrodinger's lap. So um, you had Verstappen uh, take the win. It was a very close race by the end because it was a formation lap finish. Um, Max Verstappen got the win ahead of Hamilton and Alonso. As I said, for much of the race, Verstappen was far ahead. Hamilton and Alonso were kind of evenly pegged about a second and a half apart. Uh, Stroll went from the gravel to fourth because of Schrodinger's lap. Um Perez from the back of the grid got up to fifth. Uh, he was probably the main source of entertainment for much of the race until the collective clusterfuck at the end as, as he worked his way through. And he pulled us some really good moves, actually. Um, most of them being DRS-assisted, but some of them were, were normal moves as well. Um, I think the combination of DRS being super powerful and the rest of the track being difficult to overtake didn't really do a lot to provide inspiring overtakes shall we say other than the, the brief one or two like sciences on on gasly um the positives uh from the race uh mclaren uh double points finish six for norris and eight for piastri uh piastri managing i think to yeah he equaled two of his compatriots in scoring his first points at his home race uh mark weber did so for minardi in 2004 three and Daniel Ricciardo did the same for Toro Rosso in 2012. So that was pretty cool. It was cool to see McLaren look a I little mean, better. <laughs> they kind of didn't at the same time, but when half the field crashes, now you should. Yeah, they got they got <laughs> points because almost everybody who finished the race got points by the end of it. Well, I mean, Norris was kind of in a position where he was going to score points anyway. He would he would have been like eight or something, but. And his pace, you know, there were points when Perez was behind him where he was able to keep him there. So it looked better. And and yeah, Piastri, yeah, he very much benefited from the chaos toward the end. He wouldn't have scored points without it. But, you know, at least they were in a position to be able to capitalize on it. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have to. I think they're another one like Mercedes where it's just going to take a few races to actually see where they should be. Um the positives were that they were at least running at the end, unlike the last two. Um, in the middle of them, in seventh was Hulkenberg, as we said, so close, so close to getting that podium. That, and I think, yeah, the, the collective motorsport world would have descended into beautiful anarchy if he'd managed to do so. But um, yeah, he, he was fourth after the clusterfuck Schrodinger's lap, uh, but went back down to seventh, which is still a good 
a good result for Haas. Um, and then rounding out the points positions, you had Joe and Tsunoda. Um, another positive I can grasp from this, after three races, every team has scored points. Um, not every driver, but every team has. So there's a positive, I guess it's closer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, with a shit show of a race, you're going to have crazy results at the end. Yeah. You know, and and I'm not... I'm not counting on McLaren to score a whole lot more points throughout the season. No, not really. You know, really. much like much like Mercedes. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying Mercedes isn't going to score any more points, but you know, it's it's been one race that they that they've actually had a great performance, and so we'll see, we'll see. But I think once again we saw that again prior to Schrodinger's lap. That I'm going to keep calling it because that should just be what the whole instance called. Um, the the entire midfield, or and by that I mean everyone behind Red Bull, looks so damn close. So in, in like over the last three races, you've had Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Mercedes all genuinely have shots at podiums. The Alpines in this race, before they both deleted themselves on the lap that never was, they were right on pace with Mercedes and and Aston Martin and Ferrari. Um, I feel I feel really, really bad for them in particular because they were on for a really strong double points finish. And um Yeah, it ultimately never happened. A really good race for he most was. of it. Yeah. He really oh, was. And you know, he's very lucky to come out of this without a race ban because he's on ten penalty points, and if he gets twelve, he's banned for a race, and that doesn't change until I think halfway through May. Um and honestly the incident he had at the end there, I would have been giving him penalty points for it. Like he, uh, the whole penalty points thing leading up to a race ban, Gasly's the sort of driver who really shouldn't be on the verge of a race ban. He's got a lot of points through like stuff out of his control and uh, that I don't think should be attributed to driver blame stuff like the team, not bringing him in under a red flag or something like that. And, and various other things that I don't know, I, I wouldn't put on him, but that was very much an incident where I would have given him points and it probably would have given him a ban. But prior to that, as you say, you drove a great race. Yeah. When was the last time we had a ban? Uh, Grosjean, 2012, I would imagine. Um, yeah, after Spa, he got that ban for um, becoming a Beyblade over the top of Fernando Alonso. <laughs> um, yeah, so he missed the next Grand Prix. I don't think we've had a ban since. I don't think so. And, and we've never had a ban as a result of the new penalty point system because Grosjean w was banned just because the incident was so terrible. Um, they, they brought in the yeah. penalty points thing shortly after. So we haven't seen anyone actually fall foul of it yet. Um, Let's be like NASCAR. Let's start handing out suspensions. Let's yeah. make this shit interesting. What? You didn't think this Grand Prix was interesting enough? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're, Fuck it, let's do it. You know, <laughs> if, if we're just out here doing whatever the hell we want to do, let's just start handing out make arbitrary race man. Yeah. yeah, just make a new rule. Actually, we don't even need to make the rule; just make a decision. No, yeah. just yeah, just make a decision. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll briefly mention the support race action. Uh, Formula Two. You had um, Dennis Hauger win the sprint race, and Ayumo Awasa win the feature race. Both of those races were very chaotic as well. Some of the driving standards in there were very questionable. Um, 
including you know the usual suspects of um uh Roy Nisani um and you had a very scary situation where Enzo Fittipaldi nearly spun his car into Nisani's stricken car at the side of the road it, it, it that was wasn't a great look either um Formula Three was very much the same. Terrible driving standards up and down the field. Um, they really need to have a word with the people in the support categories, Formula Two, Formula Three, because it was it was quite embarrassing this weekend, um, particularly in Formula Three. Um, Franco Colapinto won the sprint race and then lost it due to a technical infringement, um, which ended up giving the win to Zach O'Sullivan. And then the feature race was won by Gabriel Bortoletto. And then because it's Australia, we had supercar races on the feature, uh, on, on the support pad, um, bill, which was which was really cool to see. They had four races over the course of the weekend because it was the Melbourne Super Sprint, as they call it. Um, your winners in those were Van Gisbergen, Brody Kostecki, uh, Brock Feeney, and then I, oh, who won the final one? I think it was. I think Brody Kostecki won another one in there, and ultimately, over the aggregate of all the four races, he ended up getting the trophy for the weekend. But even that wasn't without controversy because you had the teams holding an emergency meeting halfway through the weekend because the cars kept bursting into flames. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame. Those cars, I love the look of the new cars, but uh, yeah, they look great. I'm looking at that picture now of this one that looks like it's just covered in uh, oh, what's it? The fire extinguisher. I, I can't remember the name of the term for it, but fire extinguisher stuff. I think the term you're looking for is Bukaki. Bukaki, yes. <laughs> that, why, I, I can't believe I couldn't remember the name of it. Bukaki. That's what, it seems like the sort of thing you'd remember, yeah. It's drenched. Yeah. It's um, been torn up. Split um, open, you know. This picture really uh, <laughs> looks like it really got pounded with... Uh, anyways, I'll stop. That's the that's the other, after the dark stuff. I, I keep mixing the two. Sorry. <laughs> but I mean, the cars look great. What what do they what do they decide the engine fires are from? They still don't or really know, they? which is the concerning thing. So the the teams, uh, some of the teams like Walkinshaw Andretti United, believed that their fire was caused by an electrical problem related to a sensor. Supercars, however, seemed to suggest that it was due to the tire pressure monitoring system. No, not due to that. It was due to oil levels and drain catch cans. Um, which then led to the series electing for a rolling start to their final race rather than a standing start. So for some reason, they thought that was relating to it. Um, I don't know what it is with next-generation cars having problems with bursting into flames, but I don't like it much. Um, yeah. As, as, yeah, I like my race car drivers to be not on fire. Yeah, I like them like, rare rather than well done. <laughs> right, correct. <laughs> You know, it's it's not a great look. But the cars, like throughout the weekend, they was they raced great when they weren't on fire. So it it was a another positive check mark in the case of they provide exciting racing. It's just they need to very much find out what's wrong with them and um, sort that as quickly as possible. Um, that's Formula One, and annoyingly, that's Formula One for about a month now because due to the cancellation of the Chinese Grand Prix, we haven't got anything until the very end of this month in Azerbaijan. Um, oh boy, like twenty six days. Yeah, well, uh, at least we've got twenty six days to wait for what will definitely be a much calmer race. I can't remember Azerbaijan ever putting on a crazy slash chaotic race before. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing weird has ever happened there. 
That's it's ugh, yeah. But as a result, Max Verstappen leads the championship by um, I think it's about tw- just under twenty points or so from Sergio Perez and Fernando Alonso. Um, but no matter what, you know, we may have terrible consistency and nonsensical rules, but at least the midfield battle will be good. So we've got that to look forward to. If if Max secures the championship by Zanvoort. <laughs> can Red Bull put Daniel in yes. for a one, two, three? Yes. Is that against the rules? It, it wouldn't be. And it wouldn't that big be. Rick energy. <laughs> you just <laughs> just send Max on a vacation. Yeah. Let him take a long break. And and do you think Max would want to do that though? I don't know. He doesn't seem like. I don't know. He simultaneously both seems like a person who cares about winning every single damn thing and simultaneously a person who doesn't. So I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Honestly, I'd love to see it, but it'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be cool to have a little, to have that little stat be the only team that's ever done that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't want to see, I don't want to see Max secure it by Zanvoort. I think that's stupid. Yeah. And I, I especially don't want to watch that race. If that were to happen, Oh my god! If he won it in Zandvoort, I think the entire nation would implode. It's gonna burn. It's gonna burn down. It's gonna burn down. It'd be like if Philly wins or loses anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but just lots of orange smoke along with it. They would have yeah. to rehomologate Zandvoort if they want to go back there because that place would not yeah. look the same. Like, yeah, they'd somehow uh, steal the banking. Does does uh <laughs> does Zandvoort have a history of like? Greasing up light poles and things like that. I think <laughs> if they don't, they need it. <laughs> yeah. They need to call call the guys from Philly. <laughs> and be like, hey, what do y'all do when your team sucks? <laughs> or when they're really good. Well, whilst we write to the um, mayor's office in Philadelphia, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about IndyCar, NASCAR, and some other news. So join us shortly after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. month of May approaches, and the summer of racing will be kicking off in the biggest way possible. A Memorial Day weekend, Into the Apex is back on the road, presented by ProCart Concepts for our third pilgrimage to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Join us the Saturday before the 500 at Daredevil Brewery in Speedway, Indiana, for pictures of beer and indie talk. We're there to bring the hype and feel of IMS to the ITA family around the world. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark, OnlyFans Into the Apex, Infowars Into the Apex. We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative, it's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to intotheapex.com and hit the subscription button down below. 
This, this is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Into the Ballot podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and John Dravicki is still with me. Unfortunately, we have lost... We're a man down during the interval. Uh, Mr. Greg Meismer has had to run off um, with a small emergency uh, regarding an automobile. But um, hopefully all is well with that and we'll um, have him back uh, on next week's show. But in the meantime, we must talk about... I'm very biased toward... IndyCar. I, I adore IndyCar and I think it genuinely seems to be the opinion across our network if listening to the other shows is anything to go by. Um, but I think the race at Texas Motor Speedway this past weekend showed everybody why IndyCar has such a passionate following because sometimes a race like that happens and it just puts everything right with the world. Um <laughs> You know, it happened on Sunday. It happened uh, later on in the day after the Australian Grand Prix. For me, it was one after the other because I watched the Formula One race and then immediately watched the IndyCar race. And I went from being very annoyed to completely hyped beyond all recognition. Um, Texas is a race with a checkered history in IndyCar, especially over the last few years. Um, You know... It's a it's an event it's a venue that they also run NASCAR at. So a few years ago, they started applying the PJ one on the upside of the track, and it's meant really for the last two or three years, the Indy cars in particular, when they've come to Texas, have had no passing opportunities or next to no passing opportunities because they've had no because the PJ one turns to sheet ice basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, mercifully, for the first time in a while, they didn't reapply the PJ one for the NASCAR race, and therefore the unbelievable sight of a second workable racing groove at Texas was back. And boy, did they deliver. Um, I think it's, there was a poll put up by the race um, on, on Twitter where they said what the best race of the weekend was. And for a while, formula one was winning, which I didn't understand, but (laughs) IndyCar has now overtaken it. And, I think that, yeah, it was easily the best race of the year so far, I would say, in terms of act, just action. Um, I know you caught bits of it, and you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're still relatively new to IndyCar, so what did you, you think? You guys are rubbing of, off on me. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good influence, because this is the best racing series. I will, I, it is. I will hands down fight anybody on that, but, but what, did, what did you think of this? Because it guess was a hell of a race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess how I look at uh, just whether it's IndyCar or NASCAR too, really like this is the first year that I've ever focused on it or watched a race. And, you know, most of it's due to being on this podcast and being around you guys, because you know, I don't want to miss it. Um, but at the same time, you know, still trying to understand that style of racing. Um, and like, I've seen, you know, the Indy 500 in the past, but it was before I really understood oval racing, understood strategy, understood, like you were saying that the, the, the PJ one and, and, and having a two lanes to, you know, to race on or the lower, the um, you know, lower part of the track, upper part of the track, what's, you know, 
this part's going to uh, degrade your tires more than that that part. And, and to to an outsider, I think not knowing those little intricacies, you just think, oh, well, they're going around in a circle. You know, what's so fun about that? And I think that's, you know, I hate to say it, but how I felt about it as being a road racing sports car, uh, you, you know, fan for for I guess what I started as as a as a um, you know elitist with my road racing, <laughs> but no, it's. It, it's so much more than that. Um, and I think, you know, seeing, and, and like I was telling you before, obviously I do not recommend this. Obviously I'm an insurance agent. However, <laughs> I had my iPad with uh, live streaming Peacock, the, the race while driving up the pit race to see uh, Zach, one of the uh, Madison racing members um, compete in the uh, American endurance uh, racing series. Um, but uh, anyways, so I was catching bit, bits and pieces of it while I was driving up there. Um, but no, it, it, it's it's fascinating. And the more and more that I watch IndyCar, the more and more that it, I appreciate it. And, you know, getting to know the drivers, especially the, the bus bros, are, not, <laughs> are my favorite now, you know, uh, Newgarden and, and McLaughlin. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot. A whole lot else I can really say is just that you know I'm I'm really looking forward to to watching IndyCar for the rest of the year and 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 more importantly watching more of the ovals that they do as well. Mm-hmm. So it was fantastic. I mean, I remember bits and pieces picking up. You know, there was a yellow, um, and I think this is a Pato Award was out front for a while, and they're like, you know, maybe he's not going to make it on fuel. He's probably a little bit short. New Garden Pits, you know, he's going to have full fuel. And it seems like this is going to be, you know, the end of the race, you know, it's going to be, okay, can Pato save enough fuel um, to stay out front? And then it, what, it all changed with a matter, <laughs> a lap or two, there was another yellow. And then all the strategy changes. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's the part of not only IndyCar, but ovals as well, that, um, again, being an outsider, you don't realize all of the different strategies that go into, yes, they're running in a circle. However, there's so much more that goes, goes into it. So that's, that's my spiel. I'll jump off my pedestal and, and that's my, uh, uh, how, how I feel as a, as a new fan to, to this style of racing. And I'm just looking forward to more of it. Mm. And I think it was so well-timed because uh, as I said, you know, we had the Australian Grand Prix in the morning where Formula One showcased so many of its weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had IndyCar later in the day showcase how well it can do at being different to Formula One. You know, having ovals, you know, already major difference to Formula One and the different types of racing you get, not just at the super speedways, but then at the short ovals. And, you right. know, there's all the, all the different things that go into oval racing which already puts it apart then you've got you know we had a, such a good race so many people in contention you at points like as you said it changed you you had this point where Pato Ward almost lapped the entire field mm-hmm. and yet it was spectacular because we don't get dominating performances like that in IndyCar a lot so when it happens it's celebrated whereas it always happens in Formula <laughs> One Right. You know, it's very rare that you get a performance like that. But then the race naturally changed because there was a caution. And then all of a sudden you had Polo and Newgarden up there battling with him for the final few laps. The final few laps in particular 
were stunning. You had wheel-to-wheel action, 220 miles an hour, millimeters apart, and yet every driver, and this was something that um, I'm trying to remember who exactly said about the respect. I think it was Scott McLaughlin said on Twitter, Scott McLaughlin, who also said after the race that his favorite Taylor Swift song was the 10-minute version of All Too Well. <laughs> it's a weird world. I don't really understand it. But but he and many others highlighted the respect that all the IndyCar drivers have for each other and that they're willing to race massively aggressively, and yet mm. they will always, nine times out of ten, be completely respectful and 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 continue this racing respect and again that's something you don't see a lot in formula one these days they're constantly shoving people off and right. and and just ignoring traditional racing etiquette you know so you have that aspect shown and then you've well, got all of not, that go on sorry on, on that point too I, I think we've talked about it before but um when when him when mclaughlin and grosjean got into that you know that was that same peak you know, they're both leading, both going for it, wreck each other out. The fact that he went up to him after the fact and, like, you know, apologized. And, like, the, the way that they talked it out, like you said, you don't get that in Formula One. You know, that happens. They fucking hate each other for, <laughs> forever. You know, they're not going to apologize to one another. They're not going to, you know, say, hey, I know we we're both going for it. And um, But, no, when, when he did that, the amount of respect that I think I – gain from it again being a new fan um uh, it, it can't even compare to to it, it, it to me it almost seemed like you know it was like when you're a kid and you're playing um you know youth sports you know the, the fact that you know at the end of the game you guys all lined up would shake hands you know it was um that style of respect you know that we're taught so young um not getting lost in the limelight of being hey i'm a professional indie car we're in this you know, millions of dollars were getting paid. Um, but anyway, it's just, it, it's always good to see, you know, good old fashioned respect. Like you said, it, the, the, the racing and, and was, was superb. And again, I'm, I've got a giant indie car boner. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's the, not, this is not something I thought I would ever say in here, but that's a good kind of boner to have. It is. It is. It's a solid one. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, it's, it's, as you say, you know, it's the respect that you wouldn't see in many other series. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say in sports car racing you would, but like when you could directly compare it to something like Formula One, which is the closest thing you can compare IndyCar to, you know, if if somebody does something wrong to you in Formula One, nine times out of ten, you then just have a grudge and you end up doing it again and again. Look at Hamilton versus Verstappen over the last few right. years, the amount of times they've done stuff to each other. No F1 Twitter, I'm not taking sides. Please don't. Please don't find me and kill me or something. I don't know. It just don't. But then, and then it's the same in NASCAR. You know, if you're wronged in NASCAR, you're either going to deliberately wreck the guy like Denny Hamlin's done several weeks in a row now, despite preaching about racing respect. Um, (laughs) Or you're going to fight him in the garage area, or you're going to do a Daniel Suarez and, and risk the health of pit crew members by ramming them into them on the pit lane. We'll talk about that later. Um, You know, it's just this, this culture of respect within IndyCar. You don't see it anymore. And well, I mean, you used to when Paul Tracy was around beating the shit out of people, but (laughs) that's just Canada problems, I guess. Um, But, and then after all of that, the other thing that, that put IndyCar removed IndyCar away from every other type type of racing that we can compare it to Nobody's talking about the fact that that race ended under caution. 
because yeah. that's just sometimes races end under caution. <laughs> and if anything, yeah. in this instance, because we all know what the rule is in IndyCar, you know, occasionally, like in the last few years, IndyCar have started doing a thing where if there are enough laps, they might red flag a race late if they have enough laps to complete the rest of the procedure, you know, have a lap back to the pit lane, have a lap uh, or two, a formation, and then go green. If they have enough laps left to do that, then they'll red it to try and preserve mm -hmm. green. But they won't add time on. They won't They won't rush through different processes to try and make it happen. So at certain points, you know that if there's a caution in the last few laps, it's probably going to end under yellow. But that improves it. It adds to the urgency. In this case, you had a really, really intense battle for the lead that was made all the more intense by the fact that every corner could be the last one of the race if a caution comes out, especially at Texas, where the right. racing's so close, the speeds are so high, and the walls are right there. We saw with Grosjean, you know, he'd been threatening for about 248 laps to bin himself into the wall. And when he finally did, that caused the yellow, which ended the race. And New Garden had just gotten by um, Pato, and that mm -hmm. ultimately gave him the win. And that added to the intensity. So, you know, in this instance, IndyCar showed that sometimes a race will end under yellow, but it doesn't mean it isn't exciting. And, right. you know, if you're going to a race, I saw this argument used, and I can't disagree with it more with Formula One, whereby someone was saying, oh, you know, it costs so much to go to a Formula One race nowadays, where, you know, if it ended under green, you'd feel, if it ended under yellow, sorry, you'd feel a bit shortchanged. And I'm like, right, firstly, if you're complaining about how much Formula One tickets cost, maybe the tickets need to be cheaper. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you go to a race for all of the laps, not just the first and the last one. Are we really saying that if there were no positions changed on the first or last laps of a race, then it wasn't exciting if there was a lead lap overtake, a, a, a lead overtake every other lap? That's not how it works. That's not right. what a race is. So, yeah, IndyCar did itself so many favors this weekend we haven't even spoken about uh, much about who did what rosenquist got pole ultimately he ended up having a crash midway through but new garden and pato were the, the the cars that had the best shot throughout the race they both looked much faster than everyone else right and yet there was this to and fro where at one point new garden looked like he was dominating then O'Ward came out and nearly lapped everyone then there was the caution then they started fighting it was just an excellent race and I think the only criticism that I can even bring to IndyCar because of this is it's showcased why we need more ovals. Mm -hmm, you know, right. 10 years ago, or a little bit over, right around the time I started watching IndyCar, almost half the schedule was ovals. And then, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, and this was another debate that sparked because, uh, after this race, um, we saw a lot of ovals, especially the high-speed ones like Texas. We saw a lot of them fall by the wayside in the wake of Dan Weldon's death at Vegas in 2011. And I completely understand why those tracks went away at the time, because mm -hmm. the cars weren't safe. That type of racing wasn't safe at those tracks. Pack racing is never a good idea. This wasn't really a pack race. This was fine. There was enough of a field spread whereby it just wasn't like a Vegas or a Fontana where they're all over each other. And if you have one crash, there's going to be cars going everywhere. Everybody. Yeah. So it, it was within the realms of acceptability for that. But I think to not go to more ovals because of that inherent risk might be foolish. Now when the cars are much safer than they were 10 years ago, we have the aero screen, we have the halo within that. We have all the various other safety enhancements that have been made in the last 10 years. There's this, there was a big debate, 
even prior to this race being an absolute banger, which has only kind of been amplified now because the race was so damn good, mm-hmm. that IndyCar needs to go to more ovals. Roger Penske has said that if there's going to be calendar expansions, he it's likely it will be ovals first because there needs to be more. There's only right. there's only Texas, Gateway, Indianapolis, and Iowa on the calendar at the moment. So there needs to be more. But there's the, the, previously there was a sticking point of, oh, well, which ovals can we go to that would be safe? I think with the cars being so much better now, we could go to somewhere like Homestead or, or somewhere, probably not Fanta- Fontana because that's changing to a short track anyway. Well, right. we'll go back there now because it's a short track. Um, we need more ovals, basically, is what I'm, I'm rambling on to say. We need more ovals and this race... Uh, a track that's provided such terrible racing in the last few years for that track to put on this race, it just underlines that fact. We need more ovals, right? I I, I adore oval racing, and and as you said, you know, I started off as someone who thought, oh, it's just turning left. Herder, how hard is that? <laughs> and yet, it, the amount of different skill sets you have to use to 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 be good on ovals, you know. We see so many people come over from the world of Formula One or other road course racing. They try ovals and they either love it or they are terrified of it. Right, right. And, <laughs> you know the, the 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 way that Roma has has changed his attitudes to oval racing since he started getting into IndyCar is indicative of how good oval racing is. Because he didn't want to do it because he wasn't sure about the safety. Then he tried Gateway and loved it. And then for a lot of that race yesterday, until he binned it. He was right up there hanging yep. with the best of them. And yeah, yep. that's the endorsement that ovals get sometimes is, you know, people think they're one thing and then they try it and then it's great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, after this performance, I, I think it's probably put it on the map that, Hey, this is something we need to add more of. So I w- wouldn't be surprised if we see more added next year. So that's what we can at least hope for. I, I hope so. I, I still, the, the one, the other one thing about IndyCar that I don't really like is the decisions made at the top aren't always the best, like holding preseason testing at an exclusive country club and, yeah. you know, certain tracks that fall on and off the schedule occasionally. But I would Not like for themes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and that. Um, I, I would like to think that the fan outcry on social media after this race would be enough to convince them but it is also undeniable that there weren't many people in the stands and there weren't many people in the stands when IndyCar went to Homestead and there weren't many people in the stands when they went to Fontana so you know it's a give and take you know if I'm obviously all the way over here in the UK but if anyone in the United States is an oval racing fan and wants to see IndyCar go to ovals make the effort to go to them the ones that we have and, sh- and prove that there is an appetite for it. Um, but, you know, as I, as I said at the start of this, IndyCar needs to show its uniqueness and, and, and what it can give that's different to Formula One and different to NASCAR. And I think the race at Texas proved so many things that IndyCar does differently that make it utterly superb. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on, I could talk about IndyCar all day. I, I, I adore IndyCar. We, we better talk about the results. So Joseph Newgarden ended up winning uh, under caution. But oh well, it was still great. Um, Pato Award took second head of Alex Polo. David Malukas, once again, uh, being the literal David versus Goliath for much of the race. Um, 
he ended up finishing fourth once again showing he is a force to be reckoned with on the oval tracks and if if dale coin racing can give him the equipment to perform on the road courses as well he's he's going to be a dark horse a lot this season if they can do that and you know when roman was driving for that team they proved that they can perform really well on the road courses in this modern era so hopefully the um lithuanian american can have a few more mm-hmm. results like that because it was great to see um then you had a brace of scots with dixon and mclaughlin fifth and sixth colton herter it was nice to see andretti up there actually um because they're outside of indianapolis their oval program has been lacking somewhat over the last few years so it's good to see colton mm-hmm. and roman running up there prior to him shagging it into the barrier <laughs> um Marcus Ericsson was the first car lap down in eighth ahead of Callum Eilat and Elio Castroneves rounding out the top 10. And then I want to drop back a couple of positions to Augustin Canapino. Uh, he's rapidly becoming one of my stars of the year, even though we've only had two races. Um, he First oval race, completely different from anything he's ever done. Remember, he was from touring car racing in, in Argentina. So completely different from what he's ever done. And he, yet he finished 12th one lap down ahead of people like Ed Carpenter, ahead of Will Power, Simon Paginot, um, Alexander Rossi, although he was he was uh, the victim of some um, circumstance earlier in the race that we'll talk about in a moment. He's really impressed me with how well he's acclimated himself to IndyCar and how well he's, you know, pre- uh, pre-season testing, he could barely speak a word of English. At St. Petersburg, right. he was able to complete some interviews with some difficulty here it was like he's been speaking the language forever it is it, he's massively impressed me both on and off the track with how he's acclimated himself to this entirely new world right and yeah i i love an underdog and he is the epitome of it's great to see him doing well like you were just saying too how the the for him to do his first oval and do that well i mean like you said some of the guys don't Formula One drivers don't want to do ovals like mm. Roman, you know. It, that's that's that is probably the most impressive thing to me is that you know, as intimidating as ovals can be, you know, not only are you, are you in a a rookie, <laughs> you know, you're, you're performing and and beating out a lot of big names in the in the sport too. So, Stingray Rob was uh, this is for um for Greg, even though he's not here. <laughs> yeah, we do Stingray have to always talk about Stingray. Was he in 12th or 13th? And then he tagged the wall, and that was the end of his race. And then, but uh, I was hoping he'd uh, he'd hold on a little bit longer. But no, he he was up I there. I saw his name pop up. They're like, oh, and he's in the wall. I'm like, oh yeah. shit. All that right, was a scary one too because he, yeah. he got wide in turns one and two, and then ran the outside wall down the back straight, and all of a sudden it just yanked left yep. into the inside wall. So glad it was quite a hard hit, the, the one he had on the inside wall. So I'm glad that A, he's okay, and B, he didn't get collected by anyone mm-hmm. else. Um, the other scary incident that happened during the race was between Graham Rahal and Devin De Francesco for the second year running. But this one was very much an a, a unfortunate incident. You had Devlin get some, I, I believe they said he had some damage coming off of turn two. And then he was trying to just get his car back and like down onto the apron and out of harm's way. But with the limited steering he had because of the contact, he just shot back up the track in turns three and Ray Hall ran over the back of him and got some air. But mercifully, both were okay. Um, again, it's just the intensity of these oval racing. You know, sometimes you get these kind of this contact. Um, and it, yeah, it was just a massively unfortunate situation where Ray Hall was unable to avoid him. Right. Um, and then the other notable incident was on pit road. 
uh, with Alexander Rossi and Kyle Kirkwood making contact with each other. Uh, Rossi was coming out of his pit box as Kirkwood was trying to get into his. Um, there was a lot of confusion, and I must admit, I was I was similarly confused at one point about who was really at fault for that because if you right. look at form, in the formula one world if you come out of your pit box into the path of someone else that's an unsafe release w- however there were many people that believed because so indycar oval pit lanes are different you have an, a fast lane a middle lane and then the road with all the pit boxes and the mm-hmm. idea is that you're meant to use the middle lane as a transition lane so if you're going to be picked pit, pit uh, if you're still yet to go in your pit box, you should be in the middle lane before coming in so that all the people in front of you know, don't right. pull out in front of him, we might get fucked. Um, so when Rossi got the penalty for it, everyone was a little bit surprised, me included. I was like, that's a bullshit penalty. But that isn't strictly speaking the rule. Uh, the rules. Uh, race control actually had told drivers prior to the race, including Kirkwood, that that lane didn't have to be used in that way. So, mm. you know, I, I'm not saying IndyCar is completely faultless for somewhat <laughs> confusing rules in, in some occasions, but. Well, I remember the broadcasters were even like blaming it on Kirkwood. Yeah. And like they're interviewing Kirkwood and then he was like, Oh no, my guy said it was not my fault. Uh, <laughs> you know? And then here's the other. At that point, yeah. You know? And then here's the other difference, because apparently uh, Kirkwood has said since that the guys in the booth have actually apologized to him oh, for blaming okay. him. Nice. And, you know, and, and that's just another thing, you know, there's, there's not this blame culture in IndyCar, right. you know, people admit when mistakes have been made and then they usually fix the problem very quickly, either by yeah. going to have a word with a guy you fucked into the wall or by making the rules a bit clearer, you know. It, I didn't know he, they apologized. That's, hey, we were talking about respect, like you just said. It goes both serious. ways. <laughs> right i love indycar i really do um and mercifully this time we don't have to wait basically a month for the next race there was a bit of a gap between st pete and texas but now we've got a week off and then we're at long beach nice. and you know as, as someone I'm, I'm sure you've seen the imsa races at long beach before um indycar at long beach is superb mm. um i am excited for that weekend for imsa yeah. as well but <laughs> because yeah. that's going to be a glorious shit show but yeah, Long Beach is, I'm going to use a cliche, the, one of the jewels in the crown of IndyCar, probably the most prestigious race outside of the 500. So I'm very much looking forward to that race in a couple of weeks' time. That'll be a nice weekend, having both those I can't watch. That's going to be cause it's so good. I just remember last year in the IMSA race, one of the weirdest things, the Corvette got penalized because during the pit stop, I can't remember if it was a lug nut or something flew out of the Corvette as they were, I think they were doing a tire change into the front um, air scoop for the, the FAF Porsche damaged their car. So they were out of the race and then Corvette was leading that whole race and then they got penalized for it, but they were showing like a slow motion replay. Again, I might be butchering it, but some, some piece of car, was flew out from the Corvette and landed perfectly into the, the Porsche causing damage. So that was my takeaway from last year. So hopefully it doesn't happen again this year, <laughs> but we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about that race in a couple of weeks. So. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, before we move on from IndyCar, there was this one, one stat I wanted to bring up in comparison with formula one. Uh, this is courtesy of a CF Chang's nine on Twitter. 
uh, found the number of on-track passes um, from F1 in 2022, the entire season, they had 785 on-track passes. IndyCar at Texas, yes, on on Sunday, 1,070. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. So if there's anything you need to take away from this episode is... IndyCar's better than Formula One. Um, Watch it. <laughs> um, two very quick bits of IndyCar news that we'll, t- we'll touch on before moving on to NASCAR to win the show. Um, Will Power, he had a bit of an awful race at uh, uh, Texas. Um, just a combination of things. He just got mired in the pack, got lapped by his own teammate at one point. But very important to remember that he won the championship again last year for the second time, despite being 42 years old. Um there was a bit of a question mark because this year was a contract year for him, whether he, whether or not he would choose to retire. In fact, he has signed in the last week a multi-year extension with Team Penske and Verizon. So, you know, you got Fernando Alonso proving in Formula One that the old guys still have it. You got Scott Dixon and Will Power continuing to do that in IndyCar, and he's a very hot and cold driver. He's he's very marmite in the sense that people either love him or hate him, both on track and off track. But when you look at the season he was able to put together last year, he very much deserves to stay there. So, right. yeah, more years of willpower. Um, well, at least it'll be exciting. <laughs> more power to him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, it's I'm really so cool. annoyed I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> if Excellent. there's a will, there's a way oh. power to... Uh, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gone downhill. Um, <laughs> and um, Will Power wasn't the only one who signed an extension to a partnership as well, as um, IndyCar announced um, earlier in the week that they have extended their entitlement deal with NTT Data on a multi-year deal as well. So that's also good news. It's always good to see a um, big company with faith in their product that uh, the IndyCar is putting on. And uh, yeah, NTT has been pretty good for IndyCar um, since taking over from Verizon as the entitlement sponsor. So that is also some good news. Um, It's getting into the final few minutes or so of the show, Mm -hmm. but we still have to talk about NASCAR. Um, It was okay at Richmond. It wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, it didn't come down to a shower of shit like Cota did, but um, <laughs> it was fine. Um, prior Larson to the, gets a win. You know? Larson gets a win. He's had um, some bad luck the this season, so he has. Yeah, um, and it's been you know, it's very it's been really interesting in the opening races of the season <clears> where you've had uh, William Byron very much looking like the informed guy at Hendrick, right? And it's been interesting the last few years because obviously you had Chase winning his championship and then Kyle winning his championship. And and then this year it very much looks like William Byron is one of the forces to be reckoned with. So, you know, Hendrick have a hell of a lineup at the moment. They do. Um, I think, however, you know, Kyle was able to win and, and it was really impressive, almost as impressive as the victory celebrations. His, his almost full lap, burnout around richmond was was really really cool like full power to him that was wicked um but i think more perhaps more impressive than larson's performance was josh berry um continuing his substitution for chase elliott um managed to finish second uh just uh one and a half seconds behind larson not as quick by as larson by any stretch of the imagination but you know josh berry very much his wheelhouse is short track racing and on the on the 
three quarter mile oval, he showed it. He, he right. shows he kind of belongs in cup and I'd love to see him get a full-time ride. I think Dale Jr. just needs to hurry up and put junior motorsports in cup and put Josh Berry in the car. Cause yeah, yeah it was, it was cool to see him up there. Um, other than that, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly amazing race. It was better. Like last year's Richmond race was terrible on account of they were still trying to work out the short oval package that they wanted for the next gen cars. But the changes that they brought in for Phoenix and the other short track races, the lowering of the downforce, it did help. It it, it was mm-hmm. better. Um, it was another race where you had a little bit of a controversy involving Ross Chastain, even though he didn't really do anything wrong. Um, Christopher Bell kind of blamed Chastain for a late wreck, which had dumped William Byron. Um, then on reflection, like you, yeah, they looked at the replays and Chastain was nowhere near him. So I think Chastain's reputation is starting to make him blamed for incidents he's not yes. even involved in, <laughs> which is, you know, he's not in totally innocent for that reputation. So I guess that's okay. Right. Um, he ended up finishing third with Bell in fourth with Harvick taking fifth. Um, yeah, William Byron, again, he was running up there for a lot of the race, but the uh, late restart wreck put him back down to 24. So, but, you know, that's not the he's end of the world. Great, though. He has. He, he <clears throat> really surprised me with how well he's done it everywhere this season so far. Yeah. You know, he's always been good on the super speedways. He's won at Daytona before. And now this year, he's he was really fast at Cota. He was really fast on short tracks, like here in Richmond. He's been fast on the intermediates. He's been all around for the championship at the moment. I would yeah, say. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was that was um, yeah, cool for him, uh, especially as someone. And uh, and you know, this is our third week in a row where we're going to mention iRacing, racing. But he is a guy <laughs> exactly. who started out racing on a computer, as they always say. And you can do it. If it, you're it, listening right now and you're always, thinking about it, just know you can do it. We're telling you right now. Just do all your dreams. Just, just do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> you wreck that person on lap one in Skippy's. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Good heavens. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, the other bits of NASCAR related news. These were prior to the race weekend, um, and another one involving Hendrick. Actually, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember that Hendrick were given a massive penalty for um, uh, modified parts, basically uh, modifying um, uh, standardized parts in the hood louvers. Um, the Motorsports National Motorsports Appeals Panel actually amended their penalty, so their um, the fines have withstood. So the hundred thousand pound pounds, hundred thousand dollar fines for each team uh, crew chief has stayed. So they're still admitting they had faults in that regard. However, the appeals panel withdrew the hundred point penalties and ten point playoff points that NASCAR had previously docked for them. Um, this was interesting because NASCAR ended up putting out a statement afterwards saying that they vehemently disagreed with the mm. rescinding of the points penalties. So quite an interesting dynamic there. But what that does mean is that um, I, I don't know if it changed. I, I can't recall who the points leader was after Richmond, but going into Richmond, Alex Bowman was now back in the lead of the point standings um, after I think he was like 18th or something prior to the 100 point penalty and is now... Um, yeah is now back up toward the front again. So that could play a massive role in this championship. You know, NASCAR has this system where it's winning, you're in, but 
the points do matter if not right. if you don't get 16 winners so that that could be um a, a massive shift in the dynamic of these races um we still yet to hear whether the um same penalty that applied to Justin Haley and colleague will will go the same way but i believe we'll hear about that this wednesday but um yeah that was interesting um and then on a similar penalty related note you had daniel suarez uh, after cota um i believe we touched on it last week's show um yeah. suarez had beef with his teammate chastain and alex bowman after the race and uh he was pictured on his in-car camera coming into the pit lane bumping chastain out of the way so he could get to bowman and then he <laughs> hit the back of bowman's car several times in the pit lane which is not cool you know when you consider you know you've got all of the pit mechanics and all the team members are around in the pit lane especially post-race when they're all there waiting to stop cars right if you're potentially using your car as a weapon it's not going to be the other driver that's the sole recipient of your revenge you could end up hitting other people so yeah. it, was, it was a very dangerous Stupid. situation you yeah. um and yeah he ended up being fined 50k uh for uh, the incident uh, they didn't issue him a points penalty. Um, yeah, I, that's that's fair enough in my book. Um, he very easily could have been suspended for something like that. And honestly, I maybe I would have preferred it if he was, just to set an example. Because yeah, you know, NASCAR, you know, beef is part of it. It's an inherent part of NASCAR is beef and retaliation whether that be a good or a bad thing. I personally don't like to see it. I think if you're going to have a beef with a guy, I'd prefer it if you weren't in your car when you did it. I'd, I'd prefer yeah. it if you got out and beat the seven bales of shit out of each other. <laughs> At least that way you know you're only going to injure yourselves. Right. Unless right. you're Clint Boyer's crew at Phoenix in 2012 <laughs> when they just all got in, but whatever. <laughs> I, I don't like seeing cars used as weapons. Um, right. So I, I don't like it when, when it happens on track. I don't like it when it happens in the pit lane. So when, when Suarez did this, hated it. So I would like him to see him suspended. Um, but he wasn't the only person in the last couple of weeks who's done it because you had Denny Hamlin, as I alluded to earlier in the, mm -hmm. earlier in the show, midway through or the, right at the start of, of the race at Richmond. I think it was like lap 34. He just clean, cleaned out... Um, who was it? JJ Yaley in the number 15 car for seemingly no reason. Yeah. He just, he just, he was racing alongside him, got up behind him into turn one and just didn't break and just put him on the wall. I remember the broadcasters were like, Oh, what happened? Oh, that, yeah, kind of looks like he just did it on first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes they should yeah. coat it and they're like, right. oh, maybe it wasn't, but they were like, yep, that was, yeah, that yeah. was legit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that was intentional. And, <laughs> and you know, normally I'd be like, oh, it's just NASCAR. It's annoying, but it's a thing. But, Denny's spent the last two weeks talking about how the NASCAR grid doesn't have respect for one another. Right. And then he goes and deliberately dumps Chastain and Phoenix and gets a fine for it for admitting it on his podcast. Mm -hmm. Not your smartest move, Denny, but whatever. <laughs> right. um, and then he goes and does that for seemingly no reason. Like I just, you know, practice what you preach. I, I, right. I quite like Denny out of the car because I like it when he talks shit about NASCAR and calls them out on their bullshit. Right. But, but Denny behind the wheel continues to annoy the shit out of me um, <laughs> because of his complete contradictory nature. You know, he'll, he'll say one thing and then do another. So, right. you know, he, he was the same when he wrecked Chase Elliott at Martinsville all those years ago. He's the same with Ross Chastain last year. 
he's the same now. So right. Hamlin fans, what do you think? Let me know. Send me hate mail. But um, yeah, I think if you're going to preach respect, you need to give it. So couldn't agree with you more. There you go. Well, that's been a week. Um, Absolutely. I've almost lost my voice, um, mainly because, you know, I could rant about Formula One all day and I could praise IndyCar all day. But um, we're at the end of the show. So next week we have, oh, we have the NASCAR dirt race at Bristol. Oh, geez. (laughs) So if you thought things were going to get calmer, no. No. <laughs> um, I, I can't, can't remember what else there is next week. There's no Formula mention, One. I know it wasn't on our list, but SRO, uh, GT World Challenge America was at Sonoma. Just want to briefly mention our boy Daniel Morad mm. was uh, made his debut in the TR3 uh, Mercedes GT3. And if you haven't had a chance, GT World Challenge is great because they have that YouTube channel where they broadcast everything on there. Then you can go and watch the race over. And so a lot of good racing happened, uh, a little bit of a smaller scale at Sonoma and especially the GT four rank. There was like over 40 cars in the grid for their, the Pirelli GT four, uh, race. But anyways, that's my little bit sports car. <laughs> I had to throw it yeah. in there. <laughs> well, and whilst you mentioned that one of the only, up cause there's no formula one or IndyCar next week, but next this this coming weekend, I don't think we'll talk about it on the show because it's not really one of the ones we cover, like SRO. Mm-hmm. But um, the British GT Championship starts this yes. weekend, and they are going to be racing on Easter Monday. Uh, their races are all broadcast on YouTube as well, similarly to SRO, and it's at Alton Park. So Ooh. if you're on Sunday, uh, Monday rather, and and you're you're in a, a post Easter chocolate hangover, <laughs> and you're looking for some motorsport to watch, you can't do much better than British GT at Alton Park, one of the most, one of, if not the best tracks in the United Kingdom. Watch that because yep. you, you, you won't miss anything. And, and it's a, it's a star studded grid this year with, with the likes of, um, uh, Raffaele Marcello, uh, racing. Um, I believe, um, Jules Gounon might not be racing cause he got injured um, yeah. in the last week in a crash. So hopefully he's well enough to do that, but yeah, watch Alton Park that there, there's a, <laughs> little uh, we'll end of show next week yeah yeah I, I think we might have to yeah because there's not too much going on next weekend so yeah we might talk about Alton park if it's good but in the meantime that is time for the show to end um make sure you follow us on all the social medias um at in two that's the number two uh, into the paddock on uh, twitter and instagram that way you can stay updated with when our shows are releasing um we release every tuesday around 4 p.m eastern time 9 p.m uk and we're available wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're listening to us on one service that you don't really like, chances are we're on one you do. So make sure you <laughs> head over to Twitter to find those links. Um, also, make sure you head over to the intotheapex.com website. You can check out all of our sister shows. Uh, make sure you head over to the YouTube channel as well to see the video content that comes from our show and their shows. And uh, also consider if you're a fan of the uh, Into the Apex uh, podcast network, uh, we have a subscription service on Spotify and Anchor now for uh, 99 cents a month. And um, you can get access to some exclusive OnlyFans, I mean, uh, podcast <laughs> content. So um, we mentioned it on, on ITA, but we are looking at doing some giveaways too with that, <clears throat> pardon me, with that membership service. So um the more people that join the uh more giveaways we'll do so we'll uh, update more on that uh in the weeks to come but um do you like free stuff we're giving it out (laughs) yeah get on that 
And of course, you can also catch all of us on our various social medias. I am at jgroves1996 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Mr. John, your uh, socials? JavikJE on uh, Twitter. And then just John Javicki on Instagram. And and Greg is Speed Rat Racing Racer on all the other ones. So I'll do that for you, Greg. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and make sure you check him out on Twitch as well, because I yes. believe he'll be racing when this show comes out later today yeah. um, in the Opmo uh, series. So make sure you check him out and see if you can get another win, because right. he's pretty good at this thing. If you want to watch me, I'm on the WSRL League tomorrow night. We're at Long Beach. I won't win, but it'll be <laughs> cool to watch. <laughs> it's always fun at Long Beach. Always is. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening. Be sure to join us next week for NASCAR dirt racing, um, various other motorsport-related provocative talk. Until then, catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk. Thank <laughs> you.